Today, we're going to continue our series entitled, uh, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And let me just go ahead and just echo what John Wesley said. We are launching October the 1st, our 40 days of community. That is a 40 days of community. It is a church-wide thrust to get everybody engaged in small group community where we begin to build relationships and friendships with one another. And how many you know that we really are better together? Can I get an amen from somebody? And we actually need each other today. And the Bible actually says this. The Bible says that as we draw closer to the coming of Christ, that we should not forsake the assembling together of ourselves because Jesus is coming. Amen. And so the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more that we needed to be, we need to be connected together in real relationship and friendship. And I love the fact that we can worship together, but God has called us beyond just an atmosphere of worship into a place of community where we can sharpen one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, and stand beside each other through the trials and tribulations and the victories that life brings to us. So go to the website, scan the QR code, go ahead and look at the groups that are available and plan on getting connected starting October the 1st. We'd love to have you join us and be a part of what God is doing. My prayer is that we will have 100% participation. That means that every person that calls Liberty Church their home would be actively involved in our 40 days of community. And that's a pretty big goal uh, because if you've ever seen a group of people 100% do anything or everything, uh, that's a miracle in itself, but that's what I'm believing for. Amen? I'm believing for 100% participation, and we're going to see a lot of amazing things happen. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to continue our series entitled Good Morning, Holy Spirit. We said that the heartbeat of this series is really about launching us into a transformational relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And we said the heartbeat of this series is really about that transformation, that we want to be transformed and changed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. How many of you understand that we're called to be like Him? Can I get an amen? We are called to be like Jesus. That is the goal of Christianity, is that every day I would look a little more like Him and that our lives would reflect His glory so that the world can see and know Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 has been our foundational scripture. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we said most people understand the grace of God. Most Christians understand the love of God. But most Christians are missing out on what the Bible calls the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And what we've been learning over the last seven weeks, it is through that fellowship with the Holy Spirit that we experience the grace of God, that we experience the love of God, and that we can literally take the grace of God and the love of God to a world that is lost in darkness. How many know that we live in a world that desperately needs Jesus? We live in a world that desperately needs the church to be the church and to rise up and wake up and fling open those doors, right, as we just sung about, and let the light of Christ shine in. Let the King of glory come and transform our hearts and our lives. Well, this morning, I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want to follow along on the screen or use the app or the YouVersion app, however you're comfortable going to where you're needing to go. We've spent six weeks... 
looking at the words of Jesus as Jesus has described the work of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to make a little shift to the Apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. How many of you recognize that the entire Bible, the Bible says, was written by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit? So when you read your Bible, you're reading the writings of the Holy Spirit through the hearts and lives of men as they were moved by God to pin down those things that the Holy Spirit inspired in their hearts. How many know God's still speaking today, amen? And God is still speaking and ministering to his people. And so the Apostle Paul makes an amazing statement. Let's look at verse 10 together. And we're going to read uh, several verses here out of Romans 8 together this morning. It says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you what? The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. I want to read that one more time. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So look at that first point. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. We talked about this on day one, that the Bible teaches us that God the Father is in heaven, right? Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in hallowed be thy name. God the Father is in heaven. We also know that when Jesus was buried, crucified, buried, and resurrected, the Bible says he ascended, and the scripture says this, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he forever lives to intercede for me and you. So we ask the question week one, if God the Father is in heaven and Jesus is in heaven, then why are we ignoring the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is on earth with us. He is the only part of the Godhead that is actively working in the earth today, and the Holy Spirit is the vehicle and the person to whom God the Father and God the Son ministers in the earth and ministers to us as his people. Can I get an amen? So, Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, and Christ lives within you. So how does Christ live within us? Christ lives within us through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He's actually called the Spirit of the Lord. And how many know the Bible says that Jesus is what? He is Lord. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. He is the Spirit of Christ living with us. So think about it like this. Jesus was the physical manifestation of the Father. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, because I only say what the Father says and I only do what the Father does. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when the disciples looked at Jesus in the flesh, they were literally seeing the Father. God is a spirit, but Jesus was the Word made flesh. And all of a sudden, they could behold the glory of the Father, 1 John 1.14 says, which is full of grace and truth. So when they looked at Jesus, they actually saw the Father. And then the Holy Spirit is the spiritual manifestation of Jesus Christ in the earth. So how do we, think about it like this, how do we know the heart of God? How do we know the heart and passion of Jesus Christ for our lives? We know the heart of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Because just as Jesus pointed the disciples to the Father, the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus Christ. So think about it like this. How many of you guys remember several years ago there was this little thing called WWJD? Anybody remember WWJD? Anybody tell me what it means? 
what would Jesus do, right? We had the bracelets and the T-shirts and the cool hats, WWJD. I mean, there was books, there was movies, there was all kind of cool stuff. What would Jesus do? Let me tell you, there's two ways you can know what Jesus would do. Number one, you can read your Bible. How many of y'all thankful for the B-I-B-L-E? Come on, somebody. You can read your Bible because what Jesus did, Jesus still does. Let me say that again. What Jesus did, Jesus still does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So one of the ways you can know what would Jesus do in every circumstance and situation in my life is I can read the Bible and I can look at what Jesus did do and I can understand if this is what he did, then this is what he will do today. How many know Jesus heals, Jesus saves, Jesus redeems, Jesus ministers, Jesus cares? Come on, somebody. Right? What would Jesus do? Well, I can read the Bible. Well, there's another way we can know what Jesus would do, and here's how we do it. We look to the Holy Spirit because when I look to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you know what the Spirit does? The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ Jesus living in us. And the Bible actually says that we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. So how do I know what would Jesus do? I can read the Bible or I can look to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit always points me to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always shows me this is what he would do, this is what he would say, and this is how he would respond in any given moment or circumstance. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ living in us that enables us to know the mind of Christ, enables us to do the will of God, and enables us to know what would Jesus do in this circumstance and in this situation in my life. How many of y'all thankful for the Holy Spirit? Can I get an amen? So I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ living in us, pointing us continually to Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. Look at that next verse. It says, and the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give what? He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. I'm going to read it one more time. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Look at that next point. So the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that's significant. Let me tell you why it's significant. It's significant because sometimes I listen to Christians talk, and when I hear Christians sometimes talking about their Christianity, sometimes, sometimes I get the idea that somehow Christians believe that because they're Christians, they're living at a disadvantage. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, and because I'm a Christian, this is happening, and because I'm a Christian, there's resistance, and because I'm a Christian, there's this. And many times, if we're not careful, we get the idea that because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we're somehow living at a disadvantage. Now, let me be really clear. If you are a Christian, you are 100% living in opposition to the world. Right? As a Christian, you are swimming upstream. You are going against the cultural flow of our world. How many of you recognize that almost everything in our world today is countercultural to Jesus Christ? 
from the concepts of sexuality and identity and gender to how we love each other and treat each other and how we define marriage and any of the basic concepts of the world today. Christianity is countercultural to the world. So yes, being a Christian puts you in opposition to the world. But just because you're in opposition to the world does not mean you're at a disadvantage. As a matter of fact, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So you have a supernatural advantage over the world. And this is one of the reasons, let me just say, say, this is one of the many reasons why I believe in divine healing, why I believe in miracles, and why I believe in the supernatural power of God. I believe in those things because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and dwells in you. And he hasn't changed. Can I get an amen? He's still healing. He's still saving. He's still performing miracles. He's still raising the dead. He's still accomplishing supernatural things. The lost are still being saved. And those who are bound are still being set free because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We have a supernatural advantage over the world. I think as Christians, we ought to excel in every arena and area of life. That no matter where you find yourself operating vocationally, I believe you ought to stand out as a light in the darkness and you ought to shine for all the world to see who Jesus is on the inside of you. Think about it. Because you're a born-again Christian and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you have the mind of Christ. You have revelation from God. You have spiritual strength and stamina. You have integrity. You have character. You have insight. You have creativity that the world does not have. Think about that. You have an advantage. So I just want to say today, we need to change our minds about what it means to be a Christian, that somehow I'm at a disadvantage. No, I'm a child of God. I've got a supernatural advantage to excel in every area of my life. How many you know as a Christian, you have an advantage to have a healthy, godly marriage? As a Christian, you have an advantage to have a healthy, godly family. As a Christian, you have an advantage to prosper financially because you get to tap into the kingdom of God. As a Christian, you have an advantage to prosper on your job because you have a spirit of excellence that's not based on the capacity of your flesh, that's based on the supernatural capacity of God's spirit. And you have an ability to do things others can't do, see things others can't see, know things others can't know because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. And we ought to go to work and we ought to go to our families and we ought to engage in life with a realization that we're not defeated nor discouraged nor to disadvantage, but we have a spiritual advantage to excel and win the day because the greater one lives on the inside of us. As a matter of fact, you ought to feel sorry for the people you work with because it ain't fair. They're operating out of carnal mentality. They're operating maybe even out of demonic influence, but you're operating out of the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody. You've got an advantage over the world that the world cannot and does not have. And we have an opportunity not only to excel, but to use our, our excellence and our advantage to bring other people, come on, somebody, out of darkness into light. That they ought, to, they ought to look at you and they ought to desire to have what you have. And when they want to know how you're so prosperous and how your marriage and how your family is so good, you can point them to Jesus. And you can say it's all because of him. Come on, somebody.
It's all because of him. So we have a spiritual advantage. So the same Spirit that raised the Holy, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And the Holy Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. He gives life to our mortal bodies. I was praying through this this week. The Holy Spirit just kind of checked me on something. He said, Keith, so think about this. It is the will of God. It is the plan of God. It is the purpose of God to give life to your mortal bodies. Now, we know Paul's already told us that one day this body's going to die because of sin. But while we're still living, God wants us to be fully alive. Can I get an amen? While we're still living, God wants us to be fully alive. You need to live every day. Come on, somebody. You need to live every day. Why? Because it is the will of God, the purpose of God, and the intent of the Holy Spirit in your life to give life to your mortal body. So this is what the Lord said to me this week. He said, Keith, so if it's the will of God for me to give life to your mortal body, then anything that you do that undermines your physical, mental, and emotional health is sin. If my will is life and you're making decisions that are counterproductive to life, then it's sin. And that just kind of goes deep. I don't know about you guys. That just kind of goes deep into my heart and into my life because immediately I begin to think about stuff. And I mean, it's really easy, right? It's really easy for us to say, well, you know, drug addiction and alcohol addiction and even smoking cigarettes, all those things are really bad. They're destroying your body. They're killing you. And that's absolutely true. But how many you know eating too much and not exercising is sin? <laughs> Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Jeremy's helping me out down there. That might be too much help, Jeremy. I don't know if I need that one. I'm still working on it right here. So I'm still repenting of my sin. But, but I was thinking about not only physically, not only food that we eat, but I was also thinking about mental health. I think about our emotional well-being. The fact that you're not sleeping at night. The fact that you're not giving yourself enough rest. The fact that you're not caring for yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. If it's the will of God for him to give life to your mortal body and you're making decisions and choices that are undermining that life, then you're actually short-circuiting what God wants to do in your life. And anything that is opposed to the will of God has to be sin. I was thinking about just a very simple illustration. Let's just imagine because here's, here's what I was thinking about as the Lord would be, just began to show this to me, that the problem, the problem is not that we don't have the source of life. The problem is that we're making choices and decisions that are undermining that life. And he said, Keith, think of it just as simple as this. He said, think about if somebody needs help, their electric bill is about to be cut off, and they, they got a $100 electric bill, and you give them $100, and they take the $100 that you give them to go pay their electric bill, and they go to the movies. He said the problem was not that they didn't have the provision they needed. The problem was is they misused the provision they had and they squandered it instead of invested it in the way that I intended it to be used. And so they got two hours of entertainment, but they went home to a house with no power on. And the truth is if we're not careful, we'll squander, we'll squander our health. We'll squander our emotional, mental, and physical health. Even though the Holy Spirit is wanting to give life to our mortal bodies, He's wanting to quicken us. He's wanting to empower us. And I want to run stronger and faster and longer and harder for God when I'm 80 years old than I am when I'm 50 years old. And when I'm 80, I want to run that harder when I'm 100. When I'm 100, I want to run until I'm 120. And then I'm going to walk to my own grave and I'm going to preach my own funeral. That's what I've told my kids for a long time. So I'm just going to hold to it. So... But the realization is, is we need to check ourselves 
and say, God, am I, am I working against what you're doing or am I cooperating with the Holy Spirit? We said that transformation happens when we respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And I, I shared this with you guys physically. When I started trying to lose weight about four and a half years ago now, the Lord said to me, he said, Keith, he said, you're going to die physically before you fulfill spiritually what I've called you to do. You're going to die physically before you fulfill spiritually what I've called you to do. Now, that's just me personally, what the Lord said to me. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but the Holy Spirit checked my heart. He said, Keith, he said, I've got a purpose and a plan for you, and you've got to start working with me instead of working against me. And I'm just going to tell you, the struggle's real. <laughs> and I found out I like to eat. Sometimes a lot. So y'all pray for me. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. Look at that last part. And one day, listen to this, one day we will be raptured or resurrected from the dead by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and, one, and He wants to give life to your mortal bodies. And one day we are going to be raised to life through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit has a vital part to play in the resurrection of our body and the rapture of the church. And it is a powerful, powerful thing. And I want you to see this today. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you're a note taker, you ought to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you ought to read 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes into a greater detail explaining what is going to happen when we receive our glorified bodies and we are resurrected to life. Corruption puts on incorruption. Mortality puts on immortality. And all of a sudden we go from a temporal body to an eternal body that's going to live forever. And maybe when we get that glorified body, we can eat and not get fat. Can I get an amen? I don't know, but anyway, it's a thought. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And we said that God gives us permission to grieve. That grieving is part of healing. But the Apostle Paul here gives us a precedence on our grief. He says even though we grieve, we don't grieve as others who have no hope. Our grief is tempered with a living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So even when we suffer the loss of loved ones, we can grieve, but our grief is tempered with the hope that says one day they're going to rise again. Can I get an amen? amen? So let's look at that next verse. So here's our hope, he says. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. How many believe Jesus died and was raised to life again? Anybody believe that? Jesus died and was raised to life again. The grave is empty. His body is gone. And the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. Why? Because he is the first one that was raised to life to never die again. Jesus raised many people to life. But they all died again. 
But Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. When he was crucified, dead, and buried on the third day, he was raised to life. He received a glorified body. Do you remember when he appeared behind locked doors to the disciples? And he told Thomas, you can touch me, flesh and blood. I, he, said, he said, I'm not a spirit. I got, you can touch me. You can feel the holes in my hand. You can touch the side. And the Bible says he ate fish and he drank wine with them, all because he was in a glorified body. And then one minute he was there, and the next minute, beam me up, Scotty, he was gone. That's what we got to look forward to, a glorified body. And Jesus is the first fruits of that glorified body. So if we believe, look what he says, that Jesus died and raised, was raised to life, we also believe that when Jesus returns, how many know he's coming back? When Jesus returns, look what it says, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Why? Because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happens when a Christian dies? Their body is buried, but their spirit and soul ascends into the presence of God. What happens when a non-believer dies? Their body is buried, and their spirit and soul descends to hell, which is the holding cell of punishment until the final judgment where those who have rejected Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. That's why what we're talking about today matters, guys. What we're talking about matters because a world is dying and going to hell. And Jesus is the only hope and the only way of salvation. So Paul says when Christ returns, he's going to bring with him those believers. Those spirits that are with the Lord are going to come with Christ in the air. Look at the next verse, verse 15. He says, and we tell you this directly from the Lord, we are still living when the Lord returns. We'll not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who died will rise from their graves. There's going to be a bodily resurrection. And their spirit is going to rejoin their body in a glorified state where they're going to be forever with the Lord. And then he says something really cool about me and you. He says, verse 17, And then together with them, we, are who, we who are still alive and remain on the earth when Jesus comes will be caught up in the clouds. People say, Pastor Keith, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's the Greek word there for caught up. It's raptos. That's where we get our word rapture. It literally means to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then Paul says, in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. And corruption is going to put on incorruption. Immortal is going to put on immortality. And we're going to get a glorified body. Can I get an amen? amen? He says, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So I wrote in my notes, those are shouting words. <laughs> and they're shouting words because Jesus is coming. And I, and I just want to, I just want to drop this on you today because I believe this is significant. Right now, there is a stirring and a moving of God in the earth that is unique that, that, is, that is unique to something God has never done before. And God's always doing a new thing. But there is a new thing that is happening right now on the earth. And what is interesting, if you are listening, 
If you're listening, what you're going to find out is that, that the Bible scholars, the theologians, the prophetic voices are all starting to say the same thing. And that is that we are coming to an end of an age. And that we are drawing near to what would be the rapture, the tribulation, and however you interpret those unfolding events, those end times events are coming quickly upon us. And people that never talk about it are talking about it. And people that never say anything about it are saying something about it. Why? Because God is stirring and God is moving. You know what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do? He would show you things to come. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing right now? People are seeing things. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm seeing things in Scripture I've never seen before. And I've been pastoring for 30 years. I've been studying the Scripture diligently for 30 years. And I'm seeing things in Scripture now that I've never seen before. And I'm a little small nobody. And there are a lot of people that have been way beyond where I'm at. And they're seeing things. Scholars and theologians, they're seeing things they've never seen. Because God is revealing a move of the Spirit at this end time age to prepare the church to reach a final harvest and it is significant and it's significant because just as I said a moment ago people are dying and going to hell and just to give you a little just a little something for your brains to chew on a little bit 2033 that's 10 years from now in 2033 10 years from now will be the 2000 year anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the birth of the New Testament church. And many scholars and theologians believe at that 2,000 year mark celebrating the resurrection of Christ that we're going to be stepping into a new age where God's going to do something that we typically call the end times. That means that literally within as short as 10 years we could be stepping in to the end of this age. And the beginning of what would be the end times or the tribulation period on the earth. Now that's a sobering thought. Now I'm not saying it's going to happen in 10 years. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. But I do believe we're supposed to know the times and the seasons. It's not supposed to take us unaware. We should be aware of the things that God is doing in the earth. Why? Because God told the prophet, I believe it was Habakkuk or Hosea in the Old Testament. He said, surely I do nothing in the earth unless I reveal it to my prophets. God always releases a prophetic voice to prepare the way of the people. That's one of the things that prophecy does. It prepares the way. That's what John the Baptist did. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was a prophetic voice preparing the way for the first coming of Christ. And now there is a prophetic voice preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. And God is simply saying this, church, get ready. The potential that we could be the generation to see the coming of Christ is more real than at any time ever in the history of the church and the world. And God is stirring us. Look at that next point. The Holy Spirit, I really believe, is sounding the alarm. He's sounding the alarm. He's blowing the trumpet so that we can make ourselves ready. Why? Because it's not about me and you. It's about a lost, dying world. Hey, I'm ready to go. How about you? If Jesus comes today, I'm good. Come on, Jesus, let's go. 
But there's a world dying and going to hell out there that needs the message of the gospel, that needs the church to be more intentional and more on purpose now than we've ever been about sharing our faith and witnessing and loving people and serving people and ministering to people and reaching out and raising people up to know who Jesus is. What we are doing now as a church is more pivotal and more critical than anything we've ever done before. And I believe the reason that God is shifting us into this 40 days of community is to create a community of faith that is empowered to to take our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got to wake up. We've got to stir ourselves up. And here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is stirring up the church and awaking us because it's time to be about the Father's business. Amen? Amen? Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5. He says, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now look what he says. Listen to this. So be careful how you live. How many of you know that your life matters? And how we live our lives and how we treat people, and how we talk to people, and how we make decisions, it all matters. How we do our families, how we conduct our business, how we live our lives, it all matters. Listen to what he said. Be careful how you live. Look what he says. Don't be like fools. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But let me tell you what else fools do. (laughs) Fools act like they have forever. When they may not have today. It's a foolish thing to act like we're going to live forever on earth and never die. When in reality we have a limited time on earth. Before either Christ comes and we're raptured or we die and go to meet the Lord in the air. And it's a foolish thing for us to just live every day like there's always going to be another day without an intensity and an urgency. How many know there should be an urgency in the way we live our lives. There should be an intentionality in the way we live and how we move and what God is calling us to do. Look what he says. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. You know what Proverbs says? He that wins souls is wise. Let's be wise. Let's be about the Father's business. Look look at that next verse. He says, so make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. King James says, redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Every day that we have, we ought to make the most of that day. That doesn't mean we don't keep going to work and we don't keep paying the bills and we don't keep taking care of our family. It just means as we go to work and as we go home and as we go on vacation, as we go and do the things we do, that we go and make disciples as we go. We don't stop living. We just live intentionally wherever we go. Because there are people in your job that aren't coming to church. They need you to go to work. There are people in your family that don't come to church. They need you to go home. There are people on vacation somewhere that need to hook up with you while they're on vacation and see the light of Christ in a beach resort where they weren't thinking about Jesus. And all of a sudden Jesus showed up because you were there. 
So we don't stop living our lives. We just live our lives with wisdom and with the intentionality that says every day I'm going to go, and as I go, I'm going to make disciples. And as I go, I'm going to make disciples. And as I go, I'm going to make disciples everywhere that I go. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly. Don't just wander through life. Don't just live casually complacent lives. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. Be intentional. Be on purpose. At Liberty Church, we say it all the time. Win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. I believe those those three things define the ministry and the mission of the local church. Winning souls, making disciples, destroying the works of the devil. That's what we're called to do. So let's be about the Father's business. And look what he says in verse 18. And don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that stirs us. It's the Holy Spirit that awakens us. It's the Holy Spirit that quickens us. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stopping Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to have godly families and godly communities and live, build a godly business in a world that's shaking the nations for the glory of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Come on, lay down all that foolishness and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's look in Romans 8 again. Y'all still with me? (laughs) Verse 12 and 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. King James says, we are not debtors to the flesh, but we are debtors to the Spirit. Think about it like this. We owe God everything, and we owe this world nothing. Every good and every perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from God. Every good thing you've ever experienced in your life is a gift from God. We owe God everything. We are debtors to the Lord. We are indebted to Him. We owe Him not only our natural lives, but we owe Him our spiritual, eternal lives. Without Him, we have no hope. So don't live according to the lust of your flesh. Don't follow that sinful nature. We have no obligation to do what the world, the flesh, and the devil are telling us to do. But we have a great obligation to live our lives in a way that pleases God. Verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, the dictates of your sinful nature, you will die. And the truth is, is there are many Christians that are dying. They're dying physically, and they're dying spiritually because they're following the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. They're living their lives according to the impulses of this world instead of according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And it brings death to our families. It brings death to our finances. It brings death to our souls. And we've come to Christ, but we're still dying on the vine Because we've allowed our lives to be ruled by the lust of our flesh and that sinful nature that wants to do its own thing instead of God's thing. And Paul says, guys, listen to me. we got to come out of that. Look at verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit 
You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will what? Have y'all noticed a repetitive word through all these verses? You will the Holy Spirit gives us life. The Holy Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome our flesh so that we can live. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. God wants to give life to you. Not a boring life, an exciting life, an adventurous life, an amazing life filled with the glory and purpose of God. Listen to, listen to this last point. Here it is. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. And he empowers us to put to death the deeds of our flesh because victory over the flesh is found in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. The word repent literally means to change your mind. It's a change of mind that produces a change of direction. Until I've changed my mind, I'll never change my direction. Let me say it again. Until I change my mind, I'll never change my direction. But when I change my mind, it'll automatically produce a change of direction. So the word repent literally means to change your mind, and it's a change of mind that produces a change of direction. But the word repent, repentance also means to return to the high place. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts us of righteousness. Do y'all remember that lesson? He convicts us of righteousness to do what is right and pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He calls us to a place of repentance where we return to that high place. Do you remember a time in your life where you couldn't get enough of, your, of time in the Word of God, where you used to study the Bible and study the Bible? Do you remember a time when you couldn't get enough time in prayer? Do you remember a time when you couldn't get enough time in worship? Do you remember a time when you couldn't tell enough people about Jesus? Do you remember a time when you couldn't, you couldn't wait for another opportunity to, to disciple somebody, encourage somebody, strengthen somebody? Why don't we return to that? See, the Holy Spirit calls us to return to that high place. That place where we sacrifice our lives for others. That place where we gave of ourselves so that other people could experience who Jesus Christ is. And so the Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us and says, let's return. Let's return to that high place, that place of passion, that place of zeal, that place of intention, that place where you are excited about doing the things God had called you to do. Let, let me tell you, one of the greatest challenges in ministry is if you're not careful, ministry becomes work. And if you're not careful, your work will always be work and it'll never be ministry. But I believe that all work can be ministry. And I also believe all ministries work. All work can be ministry and all ministry can be work. But if you're not careful, it'll become a job instead of a privilege. Instead of an opportunity for me to be the person God's called me to be and shine light into a place filled with darkness. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance and then He empowers us to put to death the deeds of our flesh. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. Listen to this verse. For God is working in you. How's he working in us? Through the Holy Spirit. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. You know what I know about you? 
If you're a born-again Christian, you have a desire to please God. You really do. You have a desire to do the right thing. You have a desire to crucify your flesh. You have a desire to walk away from those carnal things. You have a desire to live your life in a way that pleases God. But I'm just going to tell you, desire is not enough. I can desire to lose weight and keep eating chocolate. Trust me, I've done it. If God just gave us desire with no power, that would be cruel. But God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You're not at a disadvantage. You are anointed. You are anointed by God to live the life He's called you to live. You're anointed by God to be the church, to be a light in the darkness, a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. You are anointed by God to be that person that brings other people to Jesus Christ. And God has given us the desire and the power through the Holy Spirit. So I want us to do this this morning. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. I want our prayer teams, if you were praying in our four corners this morning, I want to ask you just to come gather along the front for me today, if you would. Karita's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to go in just a final song of worship here today. And I want to open the altar up to you today. And I want to end with what we started with. Tiffany's word was simply this, respond to the Holy Spirit. Respond to the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you to do that today. As we begin to go into this last song of worship, the altar's open, and I want you just to respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to come and just kneel, but maybe you need to come and pray with somebody today. Maybe you're ready to return to that high place. Maybe you're ready to go to that place that you know God's called you to. Maybe there's some complacency. Maybe, maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's an attack. Maybe you've been, I mean, maybe all hell's been breaking loose in your life. And the devil's thrown everything he can throw at you to stop you. But today, you're just going to come forward. You're just going to say, not today, devil. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press through because the greater one lives inside of me. I'm anointed to do what God has called me to do. So let's worship the Lord this morning. As the altars are open right now, just respond to the Holy Spirit.